0: My name is Russ Shaw. This is A-S-I, Attitudes of Sexual Integrity. Welcome! Head water, And you tell me To breathe easy for a while The breathing gets harder Even I know that My name is Russ. That was uh, music. That was some music for you there. Uh, if you, I don't know if you like rock music or what. Do you? Send me an email. My name is Russ at ASI247.org. I've got uh, all sorts of comments about the music, and uh, I'm just going to play it. That's what I'm going to do. It's my job. It's what I do here. I play music, and I, and I rap at you. Rap is a... Slang word for talk It's also a genre of music So Here you go, here's some more for you Closed off From love, I didn't Need the pain Once or twice was enough And it was all in pain Time starts to pass Before you know it you frozen Ooh something crazy. both those songs are songs that are on the charts today they're on the top uh, top 10 charts billboard charts here in the United States a lot of the stuff that happens to be on the charts here in the States is becomes on the charts in other parts of the world, too. So, uh, not to be arrogant Mr. American here, but uh, it's just kind of the way it is. It's, it's a The Western culture um, seems to come from the United States. Any other part of the world, the United States influences the culture in other parts of the world, and uh, I'm going to talk about a little bit of that. I'm going to talk about the last two shows I did. And I'm going to introduce uh, a new idea to you that I was shown a long time ago, heard in church a lot, never really got it. Mainly because of the way it was preached and because of my jacked up past some of the things that had happened to me that I was convinced I could never talk about, or you know even going through the divorce with my parents as a kid, I just found that a really touchy, uncomfortable subject to talk about and you just you just don't talk about touchy, uncomfortable things um, so I'm going to unpack some of that. I had an announcement about uh message boards and blogs and stuff like that Triple um, <clears throat> X Church. I stand corrected. I will admit my uh, my failures when they happen. So, I wanted to say um, for those of you who uh, listen to the show and also are uh, bloggers on Triple X Church, I stand corrected. Triple mm-hmm. X Church is a new website. They've uh, re updated the website for 08, and they have a uh, get help section. That is a lot different than the the website used to be. They kind of had everybody blogging in different areas. And now they've got um, these areas that are are very specific. This is awesome stuff. Um, They have Steve, a guy like me, very similar story, runs the men's section. Um, A woman named Shelly that runs the woman's section for women who struggle with pornography and sexual addiction. Uh, Michelle does a couples section. She is the woman who, you know, and I've got these emails from from women who, you know, my husband's looking at porn, my my son's looking at porn, my, you know, what do I do? So she runs that section of the X Church website. And pastors, uh, for those of you who are pastors, um, statistics, uh, latest statistics I heard were somewhere around 47% of pastors admit to struggling with porn use. There is a, uh, a pastor's blog section there that you can be a part of. And uh, it's totally anonymous and all that stuff. The pastor that was in there was on uh, Newsweek. So I stand corrected about the Triple X Church new website. So check it out triplexchurch.com. Click on the Get Help section, it's a way to do group online. Anyhow, continuing on. Just want to let you know how I'm doing. I'm not going to... Uh, you know, I'm not this guru guy, alright? I'm not this guy who has it all together. I just want you to understand that. That uh, I, I I do this show because I love Jesus. I love the gospel. Um, I find that a lot of churches, especially here in the United States, have kind of sold out to this American, what I call, American evangelicalism. I know that some of you have a hard time with me using that word a lot in a negative fashion, but the facts are that uh, evangelical Christian has become something to mean something else besides what it really is. Uh, Culture, you say American evangelical Christian, that today... Amongst most people in our culture, has a very negative uh, tone to it, and uh, people don't people sneer, okay, when they hear that. It has become this nasty kind of self-righteous attitude that is just um, repellent to people. Like you hear evangelical Christian, and, and I mean, there was a study that was done a while back that said that. Evangelical Christian and and used car dealer and prostitute were, you know, in in the same area, right? And that's sad, but true. So, American evangelicalism today, in 2008, has become a lot like the Pharisees, religious Jews of the first century. Uh, That was the time Jesus entered um, human history. God comes to human history as a man in Jesus Christ. And that's, that's what I believe. You know, if you don't have to believe that to listen, I'm not here to stuff that Jesus pill down your throat. So just relax. Okay. Just hear me out. Uh, what does this all have to do with sexual addiction, Russ? Uh, because sexuality runs deep. Okay. Sexuality runs deep and there's roots to it that go beyond what I call religion and psychology. Psychology in this country has become very cerebral. Right? I know that the word psychology means study of the soul, study of the heart, but in the last hundred years of psychology, actually since Freud, maybe, I don't know, 50, 60 years, we've really left what it means to have a heart and a soul, and we've really kind of concentrated on your cerebellum, right? We've concentrated on brain waves and and chemicals and sexual, you know, drive, and that drives everything, or, uh, you know, you don't make enough money, so that drives everything, and you're broke, and you can't have the things you want, so, I mean, just selfish kind of psychology. Because, here's the thing, a sexually deviant heart, right, Um, addiction, sexual addiction, took me to places I didn't think I would go. Okay, I, I was messed up. I was extremely sexually addicted. I had been for years and years, and I thought there was no escape. I'm two and a half years clean. I say that a lot just because I want you to know where I'm at. You know, I, I talk about my flaws and people, oh, he must have relapsed. No, you know, I'm just, I'm just not the guy that... Uh, I would like to to be, ultimately... I'm not a sexually addicted guy, which is awesome, but I'm still... You know, I still rough around the edges, right? That's what I talked about in the last show, where John the Baptist comes to talk, to set the way for Jesus and to say that someone's coming who's going to smooth out my edges. And uh, I'm looking forward to more of that, making the paths straight... Bringing the valleys higher and the mountains lower, which is a which is an attitude of the heart Jesus does that Jesus is the, brings the attitude of the heart and and that 's another thing that I want you to understand about um, about Jesus is this not a philosophical uh, religion thing for me i don 't worship Jesus because he 's going to make me a better person I, I worship Jesus I, I believe in God, I believe in the Trinitarian I have a Trinitarian worldview of God and I and I love God because He's better than than life. He he's better than than you know than my desires. He he's he's better than all of it. I worship Jesus because he's not because he set me free from the law of sin and death, but because he is better than life. So I hope you can wrap your mind around that too. Because I have been, uh, I talked a little bit about what's called in this country the prosperity gospel, and I want to touch on that because I know there's a lot of you that are in churches that are um, quote prosperity gospel churches unquote. And that story by Spurgeon really um, helps explain this better. I'm going to tell it again. This would be the third time I told it. I, I know I'm just kind of bringing some of the new listeners up to speed here. Uh, and maybe shed some new light on this story for you. Uh, Charles Spurgeon was a uh, pastor back in the 1800s. It's funny, there was a, if you go to my website, asi247.org, click on the links tab, you go to the links page, I have uh, what's called uh, the sword and the trowel which was a, a passage from Nehemiah. These guys are building while they're fighting at the same time. That's what I want you to have, that attitude. You're building your new life as you're fighting your addiction. Um, a great analogy. Uh, Spurgeon was a... Uh, the guy was gifted, very gifted, very talented with his, uh, his words and his metaphors and a very influential guy who preached the gospel kind of, kind of edgy too for that time. But he was probably the first, uh, first mega church guy, I guess you could say. He had a a huge following of people back in the 1800s. Subscribed to this, uh, this newsletter type of thing he did called the sword and the trowel. Anyways, he, uh, he tells this story about a guy who, a guy who's got this little farm, right? It's right outside the castle, just, you know, just next to the moat there. He's got this little farm and he, He's got a couple of goats, you know, and he and he grows food. He grows carrots and he grows lettuce and things like that. And the king, every uh, every year or so, has this day where you get to meet the king. You know, you can meet the king, talk to the king, um, give the king gifts, whatever you want to do. So the king meets with his people on this day, and uh, the farmer comes in and, and he's uh, he's grateful to meet with the king. Right, this guy's got a a grateful heart. He's got a heart of gratitude towards the stuff that he has, um, towards the grace that the King has gave him in his life and and for his life and and uh, the King who has been all day sitting there listening to people who, you know, they're bringing gifts and things like that. But most of them are kind of political. You know, they're talking about political stuff and so. This farmer comes in and he's like, "Here, King, I brought you this. I wanted to bring you this gift that I have for you because I think you're such a great king. You've done such a great job, and you've been such an influence in my life, and, and I love you, King. I, I bring you this this gift out of my out of my heart of gratitude for the the job you've done and the person you are." And the king, seeing this, is, is he's filled with. Uh, you know his heart's his heart's overflowing his heart's like wow this guy actually loves me this guy cares about me and 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 likes me and stuff like that so the king looks at the guy the farmer and he says you know he says you have that little uh that little house you were saying right next to the moat out there and uh little farm and and the guy says yeah and he says uh he says that 25 acres that field right next to your your house there, he says. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give you that. And and the guy's like, you don't have to do that, you know. And he says, well, no, I want to. I insist. I, I'm going to give you that field. That's your property now. You know, he looks at one of his uh, one of the guys there, and he says, you know, write up the paperwork and on to the next person. So about four rows, four people back in in the line. There's this nobleman, and he he grows horses for a living, and he's like. Wow, he says that guy got, that guy got twenty-five acres for his carrot. You know, wow. I wonder what the king is going to give me. I wonder what the king would give me for a horse if I brought the king a horse. You know, and so he brings, he goes to his stable, he grabs a horse comes back waits in the line and then he comes to the king and he says hey I got you look out the window you see that horse out there and the king says yeah and he says I think you're doing a great job and I and I love you you're my king I, I want you to have that horse and the king looks at the nobleman and he says cool thanks man uh, next it's <laughs> on to the next person and the, and the nobleman's like wait you know I gave you a horse you know that farmer a while back he, you gave him a a field for his carrot surely a horse is more valuable than a carrot and the and the, and the king looks at the nobleman and he says y- you didn't give me that horse he says you gave that horse to yourself he says you want the field you're not interested in me you're interested in the field you're interested in what you can get the farmers gave the carrot out of his heart out of a heart that, that, that loved me and for what I what I've done here you know he, he gave the gift out of his heart not out of something that he could get or achieve so off with you you know <laughs> I love that. love that story because we get like that with God. I was like that with God for years. And I don't know if it was the kind of the prosperity gospel thing or the businesses that I was in or just my drive towards wanting to make more money. Um, success for me was kind of a uh, a way that I could think better about myself, that I could think about my identity like I'm this guy. I'm the guy that can make money. Even though I haven't finished high school, I don't have a very good education. I got pretty good street smarts and business and stuff like that. And, so I'm that guy, right? And as I'm you know, tithing and giving my ten percent and worshiping Jesus and 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 praying for the things that he could get me right while this is going on in the background I had this root growing This this root of, of lust and sexual deviance and, and uh you know this this porn Addiction that I had that I kept saying over and over again I'm not going to do again right I'm sure a lot of you have been there "Uh, this is stupid I'm not going to do this again Lord please take this from me I I don't know why I do this I hate this why do I do this and then we return back to it I I did that for years I remember doing that just Jesus please take this from me then I would return back to it all the while I'm building this identity this person that I am um you know, this this uh, the success guy, or this guy who can make money and I wanna make more money so I can spend more time with my family, right? I the I had that attitude. I wanted to, to do that. I didn't want to work forty hours a week so I could spend more time with my family. I had more time with my family and I love my family and I made decisions based on trying to make a better life for my wife and my kids. In my in my surface identity, in my psychological Identity. All the while, this little addiction—little addiction, I say, tongue in cheek. I got this little thing. I got this uh, addiction that's eaten away at me. And one day, like I said in my testimony, um, it got deeper. It got darker. Got darker than I thought it would get. I talk about the time I pick up a hitchhiker. I thought she was a hitchhiker. I Thought she was a hitchhiker. And I and I wasn't gonna have sex with her when I, she first got in the car. I thought you know oh yeah, I figure out what she was. She was a prostitute, and I'm like yeah I, I don't do that. That's not who I am. I wouldn't cheat on my wife. Right, I'm this guy. I'm the success guy. I'm the guy that's selling pizza and making three, four, five hundred dollars a day. I thought I was pretty cool, and and I'm not that guy. At that time, I was doing pretty well financially with my little pizza deal that I had going, and then she started to to sell me. I think that's why they call them hookers. 'Cause they, they have a hook. They they bring a hook with them, right? I heard a guy say that the devil tempts us with the bait, and we don't see the hook. And we don't see the hook underneath the bait. And the hook for me was years before with pornography, with that glimpse. With the with the variety that my sexual uh, appetite had become, because my object of beauty had no longer become my wife. It was, but she was a part of the variety, right? My my object of beauty not, was no longer my bride. It had become um, be, a lot of a lot of a lot of this had to do with the culture too. My object of beauty became all those images that I had been looking at. I heard a psychologist talking about this, that when we have an orgasm, a brain chemical is released and we take a picture of whatever we have an orgasm. At that moment, a brain chemical is released in our mind. We take a picture of whatever we see at the moment of orgasm. And I think for a lot of us, that becomes and builds inside of our psyche, becomes a part of our pathology Twelve Steppers use love to use the uh, behavior as the disease. Uh, I want to look at what why. I want to look at why. What pathology is a word? A psychological word is like goes back to pathogen. What are the morbid thoughts and attitudes that get inside us that that lead us to our disease? I hear guys who enter, you know, recovery and they look at their wives as the problem, right? They start to do like what I always talk about we, we shouldn't be doing which is blaming other people for our pathology, for our disease um, and it's funny how, oh if she just lost weight if she just gained weight, if she just would, would you know, look better for me um, none of that's true, okay none of that's true I, I, I've talked to guys who are, you know their wives look like supermodels and they're they're sex addicts Okay, that's just not... Your wife looking like a a supermodel or some woman in in one of your porn movies, that's not going to cure you of your sexual addiction. it's, It's variety in your heart because she'll get boring to you if you're a sex addict. It's not her fault. Okay? It's not her fault. The facts are the hook is dangled in front of us and we take the bait and then you know and depending on how long you've been doing this like a lot of you have been addicted for years and years and and you got addicted as a kid uh I've had emails from from a lot from teenage girls okay more than one okay that are that are starting in this this area because teenage girls don't go looking at porn with their girlfriends, but they can do it behind a computer screen. That's why it's so important. My heart goes out to to people growing up in this this era because I found my dad's porno tapes under the bed, and uh, y- you don't have to do that anymore. One thing I love about the Bible and why I'm writing my book and and trying to. Uh, Engage the culture with really looking into their heart. Because I think a lot of people don't understand the Bible because they don't read it from a heart level. Um, The word sin can define broadly hundreds of terms used in psychotherapy. Okay, Hundreds of them. Um, One of the terms I like that psychotherapists use is the inner child. I don't know if anybody of you have ever heard that. uh, This is a a term that can refer to the heart and the soul. Your child, the child you, the the, the, the you that's inside you that's a little boy, a little girl. Um, Now that can become purely psychological and cerebral. Or that can be that that heart that God put inside you that before you, you you know, got more and more tainted. That that you were that person, your heart and your soul, the, the part of you that that feels deeply about things, the part of you that's vulnerable. Before you had walls built up to protect your heart and your soul against the scary world. It's about getting back to that deeper. Soul level, you. Right. It's it's about getting back to that 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 little girl, that little boy, but not just on a you know psychological level. It, it's a heart thing. It's 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 your heart. Where where's your heart at? Because it, it, when we're adults, we we build up so much walls and we build up so much uh, prickly skin to us that we forget who we really are who God made us to be and I don't think you get there through psychology or learning the right psychological thing or reading the next uh, psychological book by the next PhD, right? That's why I talked about Peter so much in the last episode because Peter was not Peter was not a bright guy, okay? Jesus didn't pick the best and brightest. He didn't pick the most disciplined people. He, he picked people that had the, the, the heart. Pick people with a heart that that we could point back to 2,000 years ago and say, look at the heart of Peter, man. That guy didn't quit. That guy didn't give up. Peter had this zeal for Jesus. He had this this passion for life and this passion for Christ and stuff you just don't get out of a book. You don't learn in a classroom, all right? Peter didn't go to Bible college, okay? Okay. He didn't have a PhD in psychological studies. And Peter wrote this. This is 1 Peter um, chapter 4, verse 12, starting in, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though some something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Part of of overcoming this addiction is is understanding that you are breaking out of prison, right? And and the problem with the hard deal about that, the why the reason why this addiction is so hard to overcome is because you've been lied to and told that the prison is your home that it's who you are that's part of who you are this is who you are, right? like that red lizard analogy that C.S. Lewis was talking about it's it's deeper than psychology there's a movie called The Island and um, there's a it's a PG-13. There's a there's a sex scene in it. Um, you know, unfortunately, they show stuff like that. Um, Maybe trickery for some of you. Um, if you feel like you're strong enough to bounce your eyes, uh, I I challenge you to do that. Any movie you're watching, I bounce my eyes. If I watch a movie and something comes up like that, I'm bouncing my eyes. That's what I do. I honor my wife with that. You have a problem with it, Russ? You know, I'm honoring my wife. I don't have to see other people naked in films. The Island um, is a movie where there's a bunch of folks who wake up and they are in a prison, right? They're in this this jail, but they're lied to and told that they are um, the whole world has been infected with disease, right? And that they're on this pathogen-free island where they're not going to get sick. This, this is an awesome analogy. It sounds like a lot of the uh, American evangelical world. You know, some of the people that email me down there from the Bible Belt. You know, they've created this pathogen-free little zone where, where the dirty things can't get through, right? Um, in the island, they discover that they're actually in prison. The whole world's become infected, is what they're told. And, and they have escaped... To this pathogen-free zone, which is like this facility. And outside of the facility, um, they can see this island. It's like a tropical island, and there's ocean all around them, and they, you know, they're told that they're in this place where they're being kept safe, where they're, uh, you know, they're they're pathogen-free, because the rest of the world, most people have died, and they're the lucky ones, right? So the island is this lottery. They have this lottery that comes up, and people who are lucky enough to go to the island, you know, they get out of this little facility that they're in. It's a little prison type of facility, and they're all excited. and, Woo! I get to go to the island, you know. And um, later on in the film, w- the the main character and some of his friends, um, he, this guy's having dreams. Uh, some of the other characters are like you know this is just not the way the world should be and i don't know about this and there's just something going on kind of like the matrix right there's a it's a splinter in your mind and driving you mad there's something wrong with the world um that kind of thing's going on so the the lead character he finds his way into this you know the back room of the facility that they're in and he meets this other guy and and uh a guy that works, you know, in the real world, and he discovers that uh, the island, the people that go to the island, they don't go to any island. The reason that the island is brought up is so that the people who are harvesting organs from the people that are in the island, basically, what happens is they find out that they're in the year uh, 2019, and all these people in this facility are actually clones, and they are harvesting their organs to be um, for for other people, like an insurance policy. Like for you know, like you're a football star, and you you buy yourself a clone. That the the people are told that they don't have feelings or anything; they're just a clone, and you, know, you harvest your body parts from when you need them. So, going to the island is actually uh, death, is what that is. And that's a great analogy to idolatry, right? What are we putting our hope in? And it's funny, this guy who plays like the devil character, he says, well, you know, we tried to make these mindless clones, these people who were like vegetables, but they just kept dying. So, we had to have them have some cognitions. We had to have them have a conscience and a a, a cognitive uh, uh, feeling, caring you know, deal, and they they built them a false uh, past and stuff like that. And They grew these, you know, human adult-sized clones. But it's funny the the lead character says, "Well, we had to give them hope. We had to give them hope in something, or they would die." And what do I say on the show? You need uh, people need four things to survive. They need food. They need water. They need shelter, and they need hope. So the hope was a false hope that they were, uh, they were going to this paradise. And the paradise actually was a hospital room where they murdered them for their body parts. And I'm not going to tell you any more of the film. Go ahead and watch it. Unless you're in that uh, compulsive phase of your addiction, then you're, you can uh, use this as a uh, motivator. To be able to someday watch that film, be able to bounce your eyes. <laughs> okay? Because I don't think we should be living in the pathogen-free zone. Because I think that we should be in the in the uh, culture and uh, engaging people in it. <clears throat> and I'll say that too. That this is and this is a part of your recovery. And this is part of the gospel. Jesus does not want us in little uh, pathogen free zones where we're not talking to the other people because that's idolatry too because Jesus died for those people what does Jesus tell the disciples he says I'll make you fishers of men all right? He wasn't giving them a job to do or some kind of a, a purpose for their life, kind of a self-help Tony Robbins thing. No, that's part of the gospel, that we get to reach out to people that Jesus died for, that people are more important than our stuff. Okay, So you getting a little bit of culture and understanding the culture around you a little bit is important. I go to Mars Hill Church in Seattle, and part of Mars Hill Church's uh, mission statement is... Uh, based on the book of Acts where Paul goes to Mars Hill and he sees all the idols and he's, and he's moved to anger at first but he, he loves the people he has passion for the people he, he loves the people in the culture so he looks past the idols and, and, he's, and he's searching around and looking for something he finds this, this uh, uh, inscription with a bunch of you know, lambs and stuff and people are sacrificing to this um, idol of the unknown God and Peter, I'm sorry, and the Apostle Paul uses that and he says, I know who that is. I know who the unknown God is. So let me tell you about him. His name is Jesus. And goes up and, and he starts talking to all these intellectual types at Mars Hill. And Mars Hill Church has a similar mission that we're not supposed to be in the Christian ghetto. That we're supposed to be engaging and talking to people. There's another uh, another concept that I, I heard from uh, a couple of different pastors talking about this. Uh, John Piper, who uh, Pastor Piper, I, I don't agree with everything he says. I like him. He's a great guy. He's got a great ideas. He's got a great intellectual mind. And uh, Matt Chandler, who I talk about a lot on the show, uh, Pastor down in Texas, uh, talking about Christian hedonism. Okay, hedonism is the pursuit of pleasure at all costs. All right, that's that's what hedonism is. Um, talking about being a Christian hedonist that engages people, that gets people's wheels turning in their mind. It's also kind of a prosperity gospel. Okay, I'm not all anti-prosperity gospel. I wanted to to touch on that as well. Uh, The prosperity gospel, when it is focusing on the field and not the king, is evil. It's idolatry, and there's a lot of it out there. And I am opposed to that 100%. I think it is sick. Okay, Africa, some of this prosperity gospel, because of uh, people like are on TBN, Uh, Talking about, you know, you give Jesus 10% and he's going to give you, pay you back in return, kind of a thing. Uh, There is some truth to investing and some of the metaphors in in the Bible on investing and stuff like that, but those metaphors go deeper than just money. All right, sex and money are very close and they have roots and they go down into your heart. And Jesus said, What you put your money in, what your treasure is, your heart is also. Okay. So the prosperity gospel is not necessarily evil. Part of the good news is that we find pleasure in Christ. That worship is putting our hope in God really is where you're going to find the ultimate pleasure. That sex, when it's done right... When you can love your spouse and, and be in, and totally in love with them and have that, that, oh, that, uh, security that they love you and they're fulfilled sexually by only you and that kind of attitude, that kind of intimacy that happens in, in like makeup sex, like I was talking before, the most intense, most awesome kind of sex for a lot of you has been that makeup sex, where you've, you've, you come together, and you, you know each other, and you, you accept her, and she accepts you, and then you come together and you make love, and that moment of, of makeup sex is awesome. That's what I'm talking about with with Christian hedonism. I had to go through that and really wrestle with that for a while because I I had a hard time with that when I heard it at first. Christian hedonism? What? I don't know about that. Pleasure at all costs? Yeah, pleasure at all costs. That's what Peter's talking about. When you are going to suffer, All right, you're going to suffer for long-term pleasure. Short-term pleasure is fleeting like I said about peeing your pants to keep your backside warm. Long-term, lasting, fulfilling pleasure comes through worship, comes from the creator who made us. Who's not in the creation, he's outside of the creation. He made creation. And he loves us and he wants us to have that fulfillment and that joy in life. And that's not always going to come from you having a big bank account. And for some of you, that can be the worst thing that can happen to you. All right, I love the heart of a guy like Kurt Cobain. I listen to a lot of his music. The guy's been hurt. The guy's been wounded. I would even uh, venture to say the guy's been wounded by Christianity as well. He wrote a song called Lake of Fire. And, uh, you know, there's some hurt and wounds in that guy from, I don't know, some church that he went to and heard some of this stuff. Because he has a a great soul and a great heart. And it is a devastating um, loss that that man did not find Christ. That that man did not find that lasting pleasure that he needed in his heart. That he kept singing about. That he kept searching for. That this world got him. That all the fame and all the money that he had did not fulfill him. He thought being a rock star, I imagine when he had his dreams, you know, in the early days of Nirvana, they thought that was the island, right? He got there. And this world just wanted to harvest his organs. Sad, sad state of... Affairs for for Kurt Cobain a guy who um, I, of course I don't agree with a lot of his music some of his music was very dark but he had a heart that just wanted to just wanted to know why things were so messed up didn't understand the ripple effect didn't understand who he was in the creation and too many people look at a guy like Kurt Cobain and they say he's the enemy. No, he's not. He's the battlefield. And part of overcoming sexual addiction is understanding intimacy. It's understanding where you are in the rhythm of life. It's understanding why you believe what you believe. John Piper... uh, also did a talk, and, and I loved his analogy, and this is a dangerous analogy, he would say. A lot of evangelical types would call this a dangerous analogy. I know that Jesus has probably entered the heart of a lot of you, and, and in that moment, you you felt this exuberant amount of joy and passion for Christ, and after a while, like Jesus says with the, the, with the parable of the sower, uh, that just kind of goes away after a while, Right. We start to lose that. The birds eat it or, you know, the, the, the cares of our life choke it out like the, like the blackberry bushes, you know, or it just burns up in the heat of life and all the past and all the horrible things have happened to us. But when we understand the gospel in our mind, what else did Jesus say? Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul and love people. Love your neighbor as yourself. The whole gospel, the whole law of Moses hangs on those two things. So John Piper tells this story about uh, this analogy, this metaphor about this guy who, imagine if you're you're in a park, like a city park, and some guy runs up and he hands you a bag of money. And inside the bag is $10,000 in cash. And then he hands you a deposit book and he says, please put this in my bank account for me. And then he starts to walk away, and you're like, "Wait a minute, dude! I don't even know you. What are you doing? You're entrusting me with all this money. I don't even know you. What are you? What are you doing? I don't get it. I don't. Why would you do that?" And He just walks away. Part of understanding the gospel is is that. I mean, that man would be incredibly stupid, wouldn't he? That is a stupid thing to do. A lot of you believe in the gospel and believe in Jesus because somebody told you, you know, to, all right? Or somebody scared you into it, or you grew up with your parents believe in Jesus, so you believe in Jesus, right? I believe in Christianity because my dad did, and my dad before him did, and this is where I'm at. Some of you struggle with God, and I think you're in a better place than a lot of some of these evangelical types who just do it out of tradition, they don't understand the gospel. They just do it because their parents did it. If they grew up in a Buddhist home, they'd be Buddhists. If they grew up in a Muslim home, they'd read the Quran. go to mosque. You see what I'm talking about? They grew up in a Jewish home, they'd, you know, they'd get to have a bar mitzvah and, and spin a dreidel, that kind of thing. It's deeper than religion. Understanding what the gospel is is deeper than religion. It, 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 there's a collision that happens. Love collides with your heart. When you start to know and understand in your heart and in your mind that God loves you and He knows you and He still accepts you anyway. I mean, I mean sometimes I just prayed that out. God, how can you love me when you know my heart? How can you love me when you know my sick, twisted heart? How could you still love me? When you realize and get into Scripture and understand that He still does love you, that becomes a revelation. And it's like the man who walks up to you in the park with a a bag full of money, hands you the deposit book, starts to walk away, and you say, say, hey, wait, I don't know you. What, What are you doing? And he stops, and he looks at you, and he says, you know what? He says, I know you. I've been watching you I know where you work I know some of your friends I've talked to your, to your folks I, I, I know you I, I, know, I know your character I know some of the people closest to you and what they say about you I know that, that you, know, you may have some problems and flaws over here but, but over here look at your heart look, look at who you are I trust you and then he walks away and that's a great illustration of when we get it. Man, I pray that some of you just get it, okay? I'm not trying to stuff Jesus down your throat. I'm not trying to sell you religion here. I just want you to I just want you to know him. I just want you to know him like I know him cuz I didn't get set free because I learned some new strategy or read some some book that revolutionized my thinking pattern. You know, there's great books out there and, and stuff but ultimately i want the books to to help embed that in you right i want you to i want you to get it okay i want you to get it and the reason um i did that show that last uh, show episode's uh 6768 was because i heard a pastor who did a sermon on this and he, you know, all he did was talk about behavior and how John was talking about their behavior and they need to get right. And if they didn't change their behavior, then they were going to hell. And he didn't mention Jesus. All right. He mentions Jesus when he says that John's there to prepare the way for Jesus and the sandals that he's not, you know, worthy to untie. He mentions Jesus there. But does the guy mention Jesus as, as the carrier of our sin, as the carrier of our shame, as the carrier of our guilt? As our as our savior, from our own self righteous, um, just life swallowing, choking pride. When we start to look at everybody else without love, you know, with with without love, that's why verse ten he said, you know share what you have with the poor. Because we can get so self-righteous. It's like, well, I'm this guy, and I live in this nice house because I did this and that. That is totally the wrong attitude. That is not a gospel attitude. That's not Jesus' attitude. Blessed are the meek, so they should, for they shall inherit the world. Not the rich people that sit on the top of some pyramid and peer down on the, the weak people because they don't have enough self-discipline to get themselves out of their poverty hole. And the funny thing is John Piper tells that story at a pastors conference. All right, not not just at his church. He he told it at a pastors conference of pastors. If I do this, then God'll love me here. If I if I do that, then God'll give me grace over here. All that works based Paying God back. God owes me this. We are obedient to Christ because we love him. Not because he's going to pay us back. Not because he owes us anything. He doesn't owe us anything. He's already paid the massive debt. So I tell you those two stories because God isn't honored by us placing our chips our stack of chips on the roulette table you know on the cross right you know what i'm saying place your bets like choose a religion and 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 cross your fingers and we'll spin the ball hope for the best okay god isn't honored that way god wants you to understand jesus for who he is not for some religious ideal I want you to know him. I want you to know that he's good. I want you to know that he cares about you, that he loves you, and you are not alone. This is the last night you'll spend alone. I'm going to play a song here by Skillet. End the show right here. The next uh, series of shows are going to be about the full armor of God. Um, Proverbs 20.18 says, Make plans by seeking advice. If you wage war, obtain guidance. And hopefully that's what you're doing here, listening to the ASI show. I'm going to go into some wisdom and some guidance that's uh, far older than I am, far deeper than a lot of uh, books and psychology out there. It's from the Bible. If you go to Ephesians... Chapter 6, 10 through 17, you can read ahead. The next uh, batch of shows are going to be about the armor of God because this frustrated me. I heard a sermon preached on this a bunch of times, and I didn't get it, man. And I just got frustrated, and I got mad, and I got angry with God, and I don't I don't understand. How, how, how is this supposed to set me free? I'm going to unpack this for you, for a guy who's been through it, a guy who's... Uh, Two and a half years clean from sexual addiction who I believe, I, I'm i never going back. I, I have no desire. I'm not going to ever be that man again. Never, ever again will I lock myself away in that prison. It was hell. I'm an ex-addict. So, remember, life really is 20% the stuff that happens to you and 80% how you react to it. To that 20%. I love you. Love you all. Keep listening. My name is Russ. My email is russ at asi247.org If you never told anybody about this thing, get it out of you, man. It's like a virus. It's eating you alive from the inside. Just typing on a keyboard can help. Send me an email. Let's talk about it. Let's get it out of you a little bit. Start to drain, bleed out some of that pus. So again, please, if you've never told anybody about, the, anybody about this addiction, this thing's been eating away at you from the inside out, if you, you've never told anyone, please um, go to the website uh, ASI247.org, triplexchurch.com uh, click on the Get Help section, there's great blogs there higher-calling.com um start to talk about it start to get it out of you start to put it out of you okay it's inside of you now like a like a termite eating away at the foundation of who you are the website's asi247.org is a listener supported deal man if you could uh, send a donation if anything i've said has helped you or anything like that uh, I would appreciate a donation. I would it helps keep uh, helps keep the ripple effect going out there. Thanks again for listening. Again, this is Skillet. Last night. Till next time. Bye.